Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. What's up, Fungal Associates? Welcome to Completely Arbitrary, the podcast about trees and other related topics. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Alex Croson. And <laughs> Casey's forcing me to introduce him. No, you always do. Whenever I go too far into it, I usually cut you off, and I have to like say, "Oh, sorry." And, and you get stop. a you get a glare from me. Yeah, exactly. So okay. now I'm getting a glare when I don't say anything, Alex. What I'm going oh, to do? Oh, poor you! Introduce what? yourself. I'm Casey. <laughs> Hi, else Case. To say. Well, we started the interview, or we started the. Uh, I should, well. Gosh, I don't want to bury the lead. We started the episode with an argument. We did. We that did. very rarely happens. Well, I didn't know what you were doing. I don't think it was an argument. It's more of a figuring out <clears throat> uh, what was correct. No, we're mad at each other. What? <laughs> it's this is the thing where I'm. If I'm mad at you, I have to make it seem like you're mad at me <laughs> okay, to justify yeah. it. All right, that seems that seems uh, it seems unfair. But all well. right. I'm into it. I'm getting bullied into being a bully. Uh, yeah. This is, there's something here. There's something. This is. This has got to be like. Uh, there's some psychology here. I'm sure. Let's talk about my psychological defects. Let's talk about your psychological manipulation of me. Wow, Alex. Okay. Is this really happening, or is this like pretend? Oh, pretend. I don't. I don't. Oh, I really God. want to talk about that. <laughs> Alex, tell me what are your deepest, darkest fears? Uh, make sure hmm. you're recording. I guess. Heights is up there. Yeah. Oh, hey. That's nice. more. Well, that's one of my more nice. practical, like uh, <clears throat> more like kind of surface level fears. Yeah. Like uh, of of uh, almost not of mortality, but of the potential of mortality. Uh, as far as because, heights, yeah, because you'd be falling. I'm honestly afraid when I get up to a high place. Uh huh. I am afraid that I'm going to fling myself off. Oh. And I don't know why I would do that. You. I, I wouldn't. Yeah, I just start to imagine, like, what if I just jump? Oh. Is that fucked up? There's no. got to be other people who feel this way. Yeah, I think there are. <clears throat> I think there are because I think I have also done that. Like, I would just be curious, you know? Like, it's not that I'd want to die. I just want to, like, see the camera shot of what it would be like if someone threw a camera off and then just it, it just plummeted down, oh, God. you know? Yeah. I just kind of think that would be interesting. But I have no uh, I have no desire to actually do it myself. Yeah. Because then of course the the you'd be like, "Oh, I figured it out." Splat. Oh boy. Yeah, I'd rather just figure it out and be like, "That was interesting." And then move on. Yeah, I don't I don't have any desire to throw myself off of a, yeah. a huge height, but I get up there and I'm like, I start thinking about it. Like, mm. what if I surprise myself and just jump? That would be terrible. Yeah, that would be terrible. That would be awful. Um <laughs> 
I've what, never, what is what is your most know. what's your what's your biggest like surface level fear when i say surface level i don't mean like loneliness or like dying alone or oh, like you know yeah i'm I talking see. like spiders okay. heights things those like kinds that. of things yeah Ooh, every now and then i have to like pull myself back if i'm riding my bicycle mm-hmm. uh, about getting hit by a car I'm hit by lots of cars have you uh, i have yeah okay. more than i should really you know well probably fewer than i really deserve but <laughs> well yeah you deserve to be hit by no cars I, no no uh, no I, i'm sorry alex i said it backwards from what you concluded oh i probably deserve to be hit by more cars than i have been oh because you're a reckless rider yes well i wouldn't say reckless just um extreme historically i've really toned it down i remember back in like 2009 maybe okay you and i went for a bike ride on the oregon state university campus okay yeah <clears throat> and you said alex ride my fixed gear <laughs> yeah, yeah i very yeah. stupidly said hey right, sure and i rode around a little bit and i remember i remember you saying hey you look great you know like you were my dad like <laughs> teaching me how to ride a bike and then we went down a hill oh yeah yeah and mm. i was like where i suddenly realized Oh, there are no brakes. Yeah. And you said, just, you're fine. I was like, Casey, it was like a bumpy road, too. Uh, I don't remember which road this was. It was the one, like, is it Franklin or something? Yeah, like the big one that kind of goes... Like, up into campus? Yeah, okay. Yeah, we were going down that toward, like, Callahan. Oh, yeah. The dorms. Yeah. This is getting very hyper-specific, but... I I think I know where you're at. And it's kind of a fucked up, like, it's paved, Mm -hmm. but, like... It's a lot of potholes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like an earthquake or something. Yeah. Um... And I was very mad at you. I'm sorry. (laughs) For not telling me before. But it was good. You kind of forced me to, you know, do something reckless and scary. And I (laughs) I came out the other end with a little bit of adrenaline rush. Hey, there you go. See, that's that's the thing. I guess that's why I ride bikes. I have brakes now, just to be clear. So if if I ever have you do this again, you'll be fine. Yeah, fixed gears, no brakes are a young man's game. They are. That is true. It's a young man's game. And uh, But now, to this day... uh, Whenever I get back on the horse, uh, oftentimes I'd be riding and like you hear a car come up behind you, like in this Ooh. lane, you're not like, you know, anything. And then it passes. But every now and then I'm like, what if that car, what if the driver is texting and kind of swerves slowly over into the bike lane? Sure. And I just have no idea. That sometimes jumps oh, out at me. Yeah. I hope my mom isn't listening to this. I think she thinks that literally every time I ride my bike. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think about it. I, I rode a, one of those like lime scooters oh yeah 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 with lily uh-huh and we were being safe we were just going down the road like it was it was fine yeah but like a car came up behind us and i was like if that car wasn't paying attention or just decided to speed up right now you just get, and like didn't know we were here we'd get fucking hit by a car yeah, no helmet smushed. yeah exactly yeah. well do you're supposed you, to you wear a helmet? helmet oh yeah i wear a helmet okay yeah. good, good, I, good i've fallen too many times to not wear a helmet sure yeah it's very very uh in fact i've i've i wear my helmet while doing mountain biking as well and one time i kind of tipped over and like landed on my head in a way where it's like i use my head almost to like stop my fall ow not yet it wasn't in a way that was like really dangerous. I know it sounds awful, yeah. but I was like, yeah, I'm glad I had a helmet right now because I was like, oh, I'm just going to go. Ugh. His like, skull just- <laughs> broke his fall. He's yeah. fine. Everything's good. Well, Casey, you know something I'm not afraid of? Alex. It's talking about trees. Oh, that's great to hear. And this week, we've got a doozy, don't we? Yeah, we sure do. We sure do. Uh, boy, I, I sounded really professional right there. Uh, you did. Uh, and the tree we're talking about this week, Case... I'm going to say this correctly. You're going to do great. Is the Wollemi pine. Yes. Yes. And the crowd goes wild. It's not the Wollemi or Wollemi. Nope. It nope. is the Wollemi. That is the 
the Australian pronunciation, which I think is the best we can do. And this, after all, is an Australian tree. It is an Australian tree, one of the quintessential Australian trees, but not in the way that you'd think, hmm. interestingly. Before we dive into this episode, I just want to say good day, mate. Good day, mate. To the Wallamy pine. Yeah, I think Wallamy. that's great. Exactly. I was like, and there he goes right there. <sighs> So, yeah, that's the thing. But I think we're, we have to address it right off the bat. When we are in the United States and we're saying this word spelled yeah. W-O-L-L-E-M-I, our pronunciation is Wollamy because it has an I at the end. The E just before that, we, it says uh, and then the I at the end just has that I sound. Right, which is E. Exactly. Oh, so what a mess. Wollamy is the, the way that I would read it, just like on a piece of paper. I'd say, oh, yeah, Wollamy. Uh, however, in uh, the place where this is from, they would pronounce it the Wolamai Wilderness. So the tree is named after the wilderness, which they pronounce Wolamai. I see. And that initially uh, comes from a an Aboriginal term, uh, which essentially is why they named that area of the Blue Mountains in the first place. So do the original speakers of this word say Wolamai? Probably not. It's probably some weird corruption of a, an indigenous term. Yeah. And in Australia, they say Wolamai, and that's where this tree's initially from and initially named. So I, I figure we should go with that, that term. But every other people, but every other person I've talked to who's not uh, an Australian has said Wolamai. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I say officially... From here on out, we're going Wolamai. All right, we're going to go Wolamai. I'm going to skip it all and just use the scientific name Wolemia nobilis and just say the Wolemia. Wolemia. <laughs> oh, God, Alex. No oh, I love stirring the pot. <laughs> well, Casey, let's imagine that you and I are walking through the Wolamai wilderness. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, it goes about as well as you'd imagine. <laughs> and we come across some of these trees. Let's ID... The Wola Mai. Oh, thank you. I was like, he's gonna do it. Let's I let's ID the Wola Me pine tree. And I was like, come on, dude, do he, it. He, he. Do it. Do it. Oh, right. The the tree is uh, yeah, there's there's almost not enough yet too much we could say about it. This is interesting. So what you're describing is is finding it in a carved sandstone gully. That is a carved sandstone gully. Yes. Does that sound good? Yeah. What a weird, what a weird turn of phrase. Okay. Yeah. There you go. It's like a gulch. Like, okay. That's a perfect description. Yeah. Or really uh, the proper term would probably be Canyon. Sure. And this is in, you found it in the blue mountains, which are West of Sydney in Australia. Great. And these mountains are pretty rugged. They're some of the most rugged, uh, part of the, I think it's the, the great, transverse range or something like that in mm. Australia kind of cuts across the entire side or the eastern side of the continent. And it is a uh, a rugged place in that it has historically been sandstone. And then there's some volcanic action that kind of peaked them all with basalt. So there's this really weird mm. geologic history. And they have been just inundated with rainwater because it's in a rainforest area wow. in, in Australia. Okay. So they've carved out just like the the canyons carved of the red rock in the southwestern United States, these really deep, super intense, incised uh, canyons 
in the sides of all these mountains, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. They only found this tree 28 years ago. Wow. That's modern history. That is modern history. Alex, you and I already knew how to talk in terms of us being children by the time (laughs) someone abseiled down into one of these canyon gulches. Abseiled. Yeah, I essentially think repelled. Okay, yeah. And found... A wild grove of trees. That's incredible. Yeah. So Only 28, 28 years ago? 1994. Wow. Yeah. So um, so it's a tree that found, again, 28 years ago, but it has something like um, 35 million years worth of history on Australia alone, but something like 80 or 90, 120 million years of history everywhere else in the Southern Hemisphere. It is so wild to me that it could exist that long and be be discovered and documented. Well, I want to be careful here. Yeah. Because there were there there have there were people pre colonization yes. in Australia. Yeah. Who I'm sure were familiar with this tree. Well that is an interesting thing where yes and Maybe not. The okay. answer is like 99% yes. Okay. Um, and that's because in Australia, like you're saying, the original uh, Aboriginal people who lived there and have lived there for so long may have come over not 20,000 years ago like in North America, uh-huh. maybe not even 50,000 years ago. Some people are thinking that the first peoples who came there actually got there like 100,000 years ago. Wow. There, it's not 100% clear or sure, but easily 50,000 years ago is is a, a conservative guess. By boat, I guess? Yeah, they came down from uh, the islands up above, like uh-huh. Indonesia. Yeah. yeah. Very similar to people who's, who have traveled almost everywhere in the Pacific. These big canoes, very intense seafaring people initially came down, found Australia and said, sweet, let's live here. And then started to burn the continent. They've been managing it with fire for thousands of tens of thousands of years. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where if you're listening to or you're reading a book, you're reading uh, uh, Game of Thrones or you're reading the Lord of the Rings, all these like ancient peoples who have lived for a really long time they're like well 10,000 years ago our fathers built this castle the people the aborigines in australia yeah 50,000 years like the the time that they've been interacting and living on this landscape is so mind blowing that if they didn't know about this tree it would be it would be like unbelievable yeah okay but there's very little history in their culture, at least that we have today, that says, what did you know about this tree? And a lot, some of the theories are that they, they knew about the tree, but they're like, eh, it doesn't really, we, we can't eat the seeds. We don't really use it. It's so far up this really rugged, intense mountain that there's not really a whole lot of use for it. No, a lot, not a lot of practical applications. Yeah. For, or, and, and I'm, you know, like. I don't. I don't know how much how well documented things are in these Aboriginal yeah, communities. I'm, I'm not sure either. I know most of it would be probably an oral tradition. Sure, but just like here in the United States, a lot of all that tradition was destroyed when colonists came yeah. over. So, and it's also one of these things where the people who are still holding these traditions are still they still hold them very close, and the. Uh, the trauma that they have experienced as people is not gone by any means. Mm-hmm. So it, it has to be approached very delicately. So the, we actually reached out to some people, Alex, we'll find about that, that <gasps> later. 
and uh, specifically asked them about the indigenous uh, uh, terms. And they were like, well, we can't really talk about it. We don't hold that knowledge. We are not uh, we are not of this culture because they've descended from the colonists. So they're very much trying to respect and uh, work with these uh, these peoples to say, what exactly was your relationship with this tree? We only found out about it 28 years ago. And of course, uh, those people are like, well, if you ask the right questions to the right people and you approach it in a uh, in a proper way, someone's going to tell you, yeah, we knew about that. Yeah. Anyway, okay. that's, uh, that's uh, just to kind of like set the tone of this, this interesting tree thing that we're going to be talking about. Yeah. That is just the tip of the iceberg, Alex. I, I can't wait to Titanic this, this episode. Crash <laughs> right into that iceberg. Right into it. Oh, well, let's do it, Alex. This tree grows to about 130 feet tall. On average, that'd be about 40 meters or so if you're down there in Australia listening to this. Medium? It's a medium-sized tree. It's yeah. pretty good size for, uh, you know, a tree. I think it's a, sure. you know, you, you'd give it a good, like, yeah, okay, uh, good thumbs up. A big tree. <laughs> you're you pretty know? tall. Yeah, exactly. Just a silent thumbs up. There you go. Um, now, the funny thing is, initially in 1994 they found a single grove of these trees oh wow with like 20 individual stems okay or more likely 20 individuals with many multiples of stems ah they grow as a as a a bunch of basal shoots sometimes. Basal shoots. Yes, which are just shoots from the base ah, of a tree. Got it. So uh, redwoods do this a lot. A lot of other um, broadleaf trees will do it. Very, uh, Not very, but comparatively rare in conifers. Mostly only the oldest ones actually tend to do that. Now, when I say the oldest ones, Alex, I mean the most ancient lineages. So the oh. oldest in geologic time. Okay. Not like, oh, you've gotten to 100 years old, now you sprout from the base. Sure. Yeah. So um, I noted earlier that uh, Wolomai is, in fact, an aboriginal term. That means look around you or watch your step. Interesting. Which is because the mountains they grow in are so rugged where you have to like keep your eyes about you because there's like so much stuff there. Wow. Naming a place after the fact that you have to watch your step when you go there yeah, is pretty great? hardcore. I love that. Oh, that, that place is called Watch Your Step. Oh, why, why is it called that? <laughs> uh, you figured it out. Oh, that's good. So uh, <clears throat> what happened? These trees initially... Um, are growing in just this small little growth. Like I said, there was the first one had maybe 20 or 30 individuals in it. Then they found another one just kind of downstream, rather upstream a little bit. And they said, oh, wow, okay, we found a second grove. Mm. And then only after decades of searching have they found two other groves. So I think there's a total of four groves of these trees. This is a rare tree. This is rare tree. There's like less than 100 individuals growing in anywhere in the world that are not have not been planted by somebody else damn yeah isn't that crazy this is like i feel like that's like you find it and you're immediately in crisis mode yes like, right oh shit okay there's only a hundred of these <laughs> it's and oh my gosh alex you are that is a prescient uh thing to think about mm. because that's what happened when people found them okay so this is such an interesting tree that when we were uh when i started looking it up i was like wow this is like these leaves look weird and then i was reading things and like well the leaves look in a different way and they're they kind of grow out 
uh, they said they look like fern leaves or cycad leaves. Mm. And I was like, that sounds really fascinating. Then they were describing them in really weird ways. It turns out that they grow as like these big branches kind of come out, but the needles come off almost like uh, like it would be a pinnately compound leaf, but mm-hmm. they're they're kind of not exactly that way. They're really, really strange. Interesting. The way that they grow is almost unlike anything that anyone has ever seen before in any living tree. Wow. And they don't drop their uh, their needles individually like, say, Douglas fir would. They would drop them limb by limb. So basically, <gasps> they would just say, I don't need this arm anymore. And they just drop that entire arm rather than the individual fingers on it. So they wouldn't drop like a leaf as in a leaf that has leaflets. They would drop the yeah. entire branch yes exactly why and this, I, you know <laughs> i i think it's that they grow the whole thing out uh-huh. but they didn't develop the the individual um bits at each leaflet in quotes yeah. so that that one could drop off okay um it's similar to a don redwood or a an actual redwood sequoia where it does the same thing it kind of has these little tiny uh twiglets that grow out and those have the needles on it and then they drop that entire twiglet when they're done with those needles. Just a big version of that. Yeah, pretty much. This is like a massive version of that. Okay. Exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's that sounds just like a, a technique. I guess nothing really surprises me anymore. I'm just like, yeah, that's the way it <laughs> yeah, does it. Well, there it goes. Okay, whatever. Yeah. So, Alex, because none of these leaves drop individually, mm-hmm. they kind of drop like big chunks at a time. If you're walking into this forest and you're looking around, it would look like there's giant compost piles wow. like raked up against the side of these trunks wow. because they just drop massive amounts of debris that just kind of sits there and slowly decays on the forest floor. Mm. But because the tree kind of has the most of its needles and foliage, right over the main stem just because they they grow there's more leaves next to the main stem because they have that single stem growing up yeah Um, or one single stem you know with lots of individual shoots coming out but each one of those shoots just has that one stem most of the needles are right next to it so when they fall they tend to fall close to the base of the tree yeah you don't get too many that are far away so it looks like they've been piled up can I ask like a, a question about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that good? For, I would imagine that's good for the tree, like yeah. nu- nutritionally. I think so, yeah. Okay. Because they would essentially get more uh, decomposing matter closer to their root system. So yeah. So then they can, they can use like that. Like fertilizer, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. That's smart. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a smart thing or it's just a necessity from this area yeah we'll get into it a little bit more because these trees only grow in these these tiny little places i read a description they're about the size of a uh, normal size maybe a large-ish backyard that's the entire extent of the stand of these trees or at least the biggest one no wonder it took so fucking long to find yeah exactly it's it it's, it blows the mind. It's like a hundred kilometers from Sydney. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, imagine going to the other side of Mount Hood from Portland. Yeah, and then finding a species of trees that you thought never existed or only found maybe potentially in fossil record, but no one actually knows. Mm. Wild. That's really cool. So the next thing, Alex, that of course you're going to see is the bark. You're going to walk up to the bark, and you're going to see that they're covered in all these little tiny dots. Now, I called a gentleman named Ian Allen. Yes. Yeah, fantastic. Well, yeah, thanks for having me on, Casey. Now, Ian works for the Royal Botanic Gardens Sydney and specifically works in the botanic garden that is stationed out in the Blue Mountains. Uh, And 
Ian has actually been to these groves and and he described the bark as being covered in cocoa puffs. Yum. Down there, of course, they call them cocoa pops. Of course. I spoke with Ian earlier this year, and I'll let him describe it a bit more of what this wacky tree looks like because he has actually seen them. And I've been like I've been privileged enough to go into one of the wild sites and see them see them um, there. You know, before that, you know, the tree, like I mentioned, it it, it is very similar in habit. To some of the Araucarias, so you know all these um, pine. Well, they're, again, they're not pines, but the Norfolk Island pine, Bunya pine, Cook pine, things that grow from New Caledonia and up in the northern areas of Australia, and they have this. You know, they look a bit like a Christmas tree. They ha- they often have yeah. a. Everybody knows them from you know. There's there's plantings all around the world on beaches like uh, uh, Manly Beach in Sydney has these very straight um, Norfolk Island pines. Everyone thinks they grow in a big single stem <laughs> with this classic branch structure, but a lot of them actually put out basal shoots and have multiple stems. But the Wallamai pine and is such an ancient one of those that it grows these. It grows from the base and it puts up a stem, and then over time it puts out more and more basal stems from the, like sort of clonal growth from somewhere. It's, it's not a lignotuber. It's, it's some, mm-hmm. something like that. And for some reason, it seems after fire or after stems break or they're browsed by, by animals, it keeps putting out these stems. And the wild trees, the stems have been aged at, uh, at 500-plus years old. And... Yeah you know, you get these 40-metre tall stems, but they grow in the cluster of basal growth and each plant might have, you know, six more, 10 big main stems, some up to 35, 40 metres, and then there'll be all of these other basal stems, similar to how the sequoias have all of that basal growth on them. And then if the top breaks out, you know, those the, 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 the hormones all unleash the, the, the basal <laughs> growth. And there's some thinking now even that, as those stems fall over, you know, these and light gaps are created, the, the basal stems take off. And so the basal parts of the plant could be thousands of years old, you know, and the underground parts of the plant could actually be ancient like that. And But then these unique things about it, so that the stem and the trunk has this bark, which I'm not sure in, in the States, do you have cocoa pops or uh, like a breakfast cereal? Yeah, yeah, just like a chocolate milkshake, only crunchy. So, yeah. Um, you know, we, we, and those little like cakes that people make called, like we call them, um, there's chocolate crackles or, or, and it's like rice bubbles with cocoa cooked okay. in and the bark has, it looks like that. As the bark ages, it has this incredible brown nodules all over it and it, it's so unique. You know, I can't think of a plant that has bark like that. There's things that are similar, but, but as these things mature, it's just amazing. And, and then as you go up, the, the leaves on them, a sort of they're 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 fern like in in how they look, but they're they're really like tough, leathery, really tough material. And when they're juvenile, they're kind of they just have one plane of leaflets. You know, the the leaves can be 30, 50 centimeters long. They're almost like mini branchlets. And then as those leaves mature, they start to sort of they don't branch per se, but they form four an arrangement of four rows of leaflets along them, and I think you mentioned as the the tree grows, they absize those from the stem. They mm-hmm. sort of 
break off these, the, the whole leaf itself falls off with all these little leaflets, just like a, a fern frond, really. As they put on new growth, their extension growth in that apical tip, they, they put up a leader and the leader gets this cluster of buds on it, like a, a little crown. And everyone sort of colloquially refers to it as, as a snow tip. They ooze a resin out of them and, and they get this white resinous cap uh, presumably to protect them from predation or or when things are, you know, insects or things that are having a nibble, maybe they use more of it. And to the point where the resin almost drips off them, but it's hard, it hardens and it becomes crystalline. And for some reason, I, don't ask me how I know this, <laughs> but it's flammable. Like you can break <laughs> bits of it off and, and hold a cigarette lighter to it and they burn. And you know, it's Whoa. it's just amazing, and all down the tree where where there's little wounds or where some of these leaves have sized, you get these little trickles of this white resin, mm-hmm. and just it, it, I guess it, to me, and this again, some botanist might pull me up on this because this is completely my <laughs> just theories. Is you know they're so ancient that they've just got all of these almost precursory evolutionary adaptations happening in them. That mm-hmm. as evolution's gone on, those things have probably been refined into the you know, the more common species we all think of. And whether it's the basal shoots, whether it's this resinous cap, whether it's how the leaves and branches upsize and the cones form, it's almost like, you know, evolution's done its work and taken these species to, it like, evolved into all these other things. And, um, you know, it, you really do feel like just picking up pieces of it, touching it, looking at it, you're looking at this ancient otherworldly plant that doesn't seem to really have many other uh, similarities to other things anywhere in the world. Casey, as we've been, as we've listened back to that section of your interview with Ian, I've been looking at photos of the Wollomai pine. Boy, oh boy. It's exactly <laughs> accurate, isn't it? This thing is so strange. It's the weirdest tree. Like it, I it love it. It absolutely is. Yeah. Ancient beyond degree. And one thing that I really appreciate that um, Ian noted is the 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 fact that is like it's almost like these real precursory things that then evolution has now refined so we don't see it anymore because it's like oh no one drives a Model T that was completely pointless like, yeah everything about it was fine then but now it's way different right so the cones though Alex we didn't he we didn't really hear much about that mm-hmm. but it's. It's no different, but the big thing that is unique about this tree and the cones is that it's in the family Araucariaceae, right? The colloquially known monkey puzzle family. That's right. However, it is neither an Araucaria, a monkey puzzle tree, mm-hmm. quote, or a Agathis, which is uh, the big one, is the cowrie, which we covered a while ago. Discuss. So. I had to read a book uh, about this. I bought a book called The Woolamai Pine, The Incredible Discovery of a Living Fossil from the Age of the Dinosaurs by James Woodford. And I read the whole thing yesterday. <laughs> I have to say, this is the quickest I think I've ever read a book. Yeah, you crushed it, man. Nice yeah, job. <laughs> I feel, thank you. I feel very good. So this is this is what uh, James Woodford says um, about the cone. Okay. This is how you can tell the difference between the two kinds of trees. So he says, when the cone is broken up, a trained botanist can immediately divide the Arcariaceae family using the following rules. If the ovule sits on top of the scale, if one side of the seed has a wing, and if the exterior of the cone is smooth, 
then it's Agathis. Think of our cow recon that we sent out in the Cone of the Month Club a few months ago. So far, this reads like erotic tree fiction. <laughs> oh, it gets so much better, Alex. If the ovule is embedded into the scale, sorry, let me say that again. Mm. If the ovule is embedded in the scale, uh-huh. if the seeds are not winged, and if the leaves are sharply pointed, then the tree's an aracaria. Oh my God. <laughs> Woo! That's some, that's some hot stuff. What then? James. <laughs> so the cone of the Wolemia, our Wolemi pine, mm-hmm. quote unquote pine. Right. It's not a real pine, people. No. Thank you. Um, this has cones that from the outside look like Aracaria. They look like monkey puzzle cones. Yes. But from the inside, they look like Agathis cones. I see. But they're just so different that you can't actually place them in either one of those different uh, genre without completely changing the definition of that genre. You this, know what I mean? This, tr- this cone is an Agathis in a monkey puzzle's clothes. Yeah, exactly. And so everyone's <laughs> like, this is clearly a brand new thing. Mm-hmm. We've never seen this tree before. Oh my God. Very cool. And they look just like that. They grow the very tip of the branches and they just look like these, um, you know, there has to be, I think there's this video game character that has like a flame for hair. Hmm. Is this, is this a real thing? Let me get. Let me just be a better describer here. It's like you take. Um, remember the bristle cone fur, where yes. you had like all these long bristles that came out. That's right. Imagine cut those in half, and then have them all kind of shoot out from a very circular ball shaped kind of agathis shaped ball cone. Mm-hmm. But then they have just these long like flange things that just come out and poke out where it looks like a little bit of a porcupine. Yeah. That is what the cones look like. And they're maybe about the size of a baseball, a little bit bigger than a walnut kind of thing. Oh. And you would just see those at the tips of all these like new shoots. Much smaller than the monkey puzzle cones. Yes, way smaller than the monkey puzzle. Okay. But they have that same monkey puzzle-like kind of look. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, interesting. It's a fascinating tree. Well, the puzzle, the puzzle pieces are set out. Speaking of puzzles... Let's put this bad boy together after the break. We'll be right back with more Completely Arbitrary. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story... You're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at SCS. Dot Georgetown dot edu slash podcast. Welcome back to Completely Arbitrary. Today we're talking the Wolemi Pine, Wolemia Nobilis. That's correct. Very noble pine. Exactly. And it's also named after a gentleman whose name is Noble, who is the initial person who actually found the first ones who said wait a second this is weird 
brought it back and said, people, what are these things? How about that? Yeah. So it kind of works out well. Yeah. Now, so Alex, let's see. We've been talking about this tree. It is, hold on. There we go. All right, Alex. So the big question that's on everyone's mind here is, Mm -hmm. why is this tree like this? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, Casey. And everyone has been trying really hard to figure this out, but it takes a little bit of uh, uh, sleuthing around to kind of think about what exactly was going on in the world over the past several million years that made this tree such an isolated hermit the way it is. Yeah, I find it particularly interesting anytime we find a tree that's like a dinosaur tree. Yeah. And it's like it it like found its place in this little vet, in this little crag in the yeah, ground. Right. And just it just like camped out for like a million years. Yeah. It's yeah. always really fascinating to me. Well that's I, because I, the urge to survive is so strong yeah. among these things. It is. It's the urge to survive and it's just maybe maybe it's more like the urge to not die, I guess. I guess I mean if that's the same thing. I think it's a difference of perspective, but yeah. yeah. Maybe that's it, right? Yeah. So when we're trying to figure out like how this tree got here, the first thing that has to be noted is that it was growing across a vast landscape, historically mm. speaking. And the main reason that we know this is because, A, the landscape was way different and we found fossils in pollen of it. Rather, we found fossils of it and of pollen. Oh, wow. The pollen, though, because of the way these things work, remember when we were talking about the last most recent Aricariaceae tree that we've worked with, mm-hmm. which was the rainbow wood. Yes. I noted that you can't specifically say that this tree is of the same everything as this other living tree. So if we find a fossil, we're like, it looks just like this living tree. Right. We can say it's very close related, but we can't say for certain without like a DNA test because some trees will look exactly the same in every way except one particular thing. Mm. Maybe that's growth habit. Maybe it's um, a species that has been uh, separated out and speciated because of a mountain range or something. Think eastern and western white pine. Okay. If you found their stems, you would be like, oh, yeah, it's this, it's one tree. But then when you find their cones, you'd say, oh, no, these are different trees. When you find the pollen, they're different trees. They maybe, don't interbreed. Maybe uh, maybe ponderosa pine and longleaf pine. Yeah, Jeffrey pine and like all those others. It's exactly, okay. you're 100% right. So in this case, they have found a, a bunch of pollen from a species they call Dilwanides. 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 And that's spelled D-I-L-W-Y-N-I-T-E-S. Okay. So this is a pollen, and they, they don't have any DNA from the inside of it, but they found a bunch of pollen that has certain aspects of the outer coating, where apparently mm. pollen is like indestructible, it turns out. And just like we'll sit there and the DNA will go away, but the the, the like outer uh, cell wall of the pollen grain just lives forever if it is not dissolved or burned or something like that. It's it's really interesting to me that you can have a uh, a fossil of pollen. Yeah, it's like so small. It is. It's so small, and apparently, it's like 
everywhere. So if you just get a microscope, you can see it like nobody's business. Sure. And you can see differences in it where pollen from one tree looks like the same pollen from a very closely related tree or the same tree, obviously, if it's still alive. I see. But there's like some that have just minute differences where you're just like, okay, this one, this one, this one are all slightly different, but mm. they all are almost exactly the same in every way, except for like this, this thing is a little bit longer on sure. these two, you know, that kind of thing. A little extra nodule on this one. Yeah, exactly. And so they ended up finding these Dilwinides or Dilwinides all over the place and then found the living Willemia and was like, oh my God, this is nearly identical. Mm. Now, it could be that the Dilwinides initially was not the same exact species where it ended up changing and speciating ever so slowly over a million years. You know, just one thing evolves slowly into another thing mm-hmm. just because of random variation over time. Then that could change the pollen ever so slightly. So then they would just speciate over a period of time. Or it could be that it was another very closely related species. Say there were four Dilwinides that were also very closely related to our living Willemia, but are just so slightly different where now we have X amount of species. But some of those have already gone extinct and all we find is the pollen. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So this tree was growing just after Pangea broke up. Panegia. Panegia. Thank you. I apologize. Dylan. <laughs> you remembered his name. I remember his name. I got this. Um, so when uh, when that whole continent split up, there's the top portion that became uh, the Laurasia kind of sub-supercontinent. Okay. And then there's Gondwana, which was the southern kind of subcontinent. And that had Australia. It had big parts of, um, I think maybe was even somewhat connected in some way to South, Af- or South America. Mm. Or it might have just had a very small sea in between. But this is the thing. India and Madagascar, both a part of it. Wow. Yeah. India went from from Antarctica and then just went straight up and smashed into Asia. Wow. What a glow up. Crazy. I just, that that change blows my mind. That's crazy. That's a Uh, huge amount of land. It's so huge. Yeah. And Australia is a similar, similar thing where Australia was once connected to uh, Antarctica. Okay. This is back when um, there was so much carbon in the air. We were in what's called a hothouse time or hothouse mm. climate. Right now, we're in a cool house or an ice house climate, hmm. which is really weird to say. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more in a while. But right now, as we're worried about global climate change and how much carbon is in the atmosphere, yeah. W- the time period we're talking about, like 80 million years ago, uh, you know, give or take some amount of time. Sure. The <laughs> let's be exact here. Sorry, eighty million five hundred and seventy-two thousand. Yeah, million years ago. In December, it'll be. <laughs> In December, it'll be eight million seven hundred fifty thousand. So the uh, back then, the climate had like. 1500 parts per million when right now we have like in the hundreds or 200s parts per million. Holy shit. Uh, And that's carbon to the rest of the atmosphere. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. It was so warm that Antarctica was a forest. Okay. A giant covered in every possible way, vast forest and not a forest that was like, um, really like, uh, 
not diverse and it was a forest that had very few species. Mm. No, no, no. This is a forest that was a tropical rainforest. Wow. With swamps and insects and southern beech trees growing right next to all these different species of Wallemia and probably a bunch of other things. It's the it's it's wild to imagine. How things have changed, huh? How things have changed. I remember the good old days when Antarctica was a rainforest. <laughs> yeah, everyone does. Just let's get back there as quickly as possible. Yeah. I'm gonna go rev my car for a while. <laughs> But it's it's wild to think uh, about that this tree was growing all over the place, Alex. Yeah, that's that's bonkers. That's a that's a big. I mean, we've we've talked about like mm, was it um, ginkgo? Yeah, that just had like a huge growth span. Yeah, like it just yeah. grew fucking everywhere. Is this similar in? It did, yeah, and it even surface was growing, area. It was growing down there too. Yeah. Okay. So it, imagine the entire. Uh, so a couple other different things. I should add, mm. um, the sea levels were like a thousand feet higher. Oh, wow. So everything was, if it was like lowland right now, completely underwater. Sure. All the highland stuff, though, was not underwater. They had all been smashed together in this giant land mass, and there were ginkgos there. Everything was just having a wonderful time. Mm. And over time, these trees colonized this entire space. Imagine like the the classic like tropical dinosaur infested forest with all these big lycopods and giant ferns and all yeah. these weird plants that you just like when you picture like I said a couple weeks ago that diorama of nature with dinosaurs mm-hmm. that was this time okay so fast forward and the the continents of Antarctica and Australia split there then becomes this current that starts flowing around Antarctica and that essentially stops all the heat from going down and it stops cold from leaving Antarctica and going up. And they call it the Coriolis uh, winds and they call it the Coriolis uh, current in this area because it spins around the uh, Antarctica. So it kind of trapped the air yeah. There? Exactly. Okay. And because of that, two things started happening. One, Antarctica started to get cold, and it never got warm mm. again. Or rather, I should say, it hasn't gotten warm again yet. You know what they say? It died of a broken heart. It did. Australia left, and it was just like, no, I will become an ice king until my <laughs> queen returns. It just stays down there. Yeah, that's sad. That's cold hearted. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, literally. Quite literally. So, the same thing, though. Australia didn't get uh, the long end of the stick as compared to the short end of the stick of, mm. of Antarctica because these winds are very dry. So, they ended up causing what used to be a tropical wonderland oh, wow. to become now the second most driest continent in the world, second only to Antarctica. Wow. And that is Australia. Oh my gosh. So they both got the short end of the stick. There was, yeah, yeah. Most of the stick fell into the sea. Exactly. It's now down there somewhere. And yeah. Someone's going to need to figure it out. It's a fossil. It is. It's, it's a petrified fossil. wood. It's petrified wood at the bottom of the sea, uh-huh. the long end of the stick. That's right. So the, uh, the, the uh, over time, you had this tree, which is the, this like really ancient conifer. Mm. It had everything going for it. And it was living in this great Kush area, slowly but surely 
fires started raging through as everything started to dry out sure. in Australia. So the landscape over time went from this tropical uh, forest over the entire thing to the sea levels rise. The whole place gets bigger. These cooler and drier winds dry it out and it becomes a huge desert. Wow. Or if not a desert, it becomes a fire-dominated uh, landscape. Mm. And this fire-dominated landscape happened like 35 million years ago, or rather continued to happen over the last 35 million years. And you start to see this transition from all these Dilwanites and all of these Wallemia and all these other weird conifers that used to grow everywhere. They ended up having to get pushed into these tiny little refugees or refuges uh, in these different really tropical, higher, way cooler, less fire-prone areas. Sure. Everywhere else turned into... The Australia that we know and love today, completely covered by eucalypts. <laughs> we know and love. I, I, I would imagine like, you know, I, okay, I guess I have a time frame question. Okay. I imagine all of this happening in like a 30 second flash animation. Yeah, you sure. Know? Yeah, yeah. But really, we're talking about what, tens of millions of years? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So that's a slow change. It's a very slow change. And so things, but things, you know, like the animals living on Antarctica or on, on Australia yeah. weren't like, whoa, what was that? I yeah. think we just disconnected <laughs> from the rest of the world. Yeah. Wait, my friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They, so yeah. they, it's just like it business as usual and everything changed. Yeah. But I'm assuming like a lot of the animals that lived, animals and plants, the flora and the fauna yeah. that lived in the, you know, pre-breakup era yeah. were like gone by the time we have our, the Australia that we know and love today. Uh, yeah. Well, they, it was like pre-marsupials. Once they got shanghai on this island, which yeah. now we call Australia, then they became what they are today. And okay. they kind of, the vast marsupial fauna kind of came into its own and they adapted and evolved at the same rate as all the rest of the forest was adapting and evolving, turning into this more dry sclerophyll land, which is essentially just a fire dominated dry landscape. Sclerophyll. Yes. Sclerophyll. That, that's up there for me. Yeah. It's a good one. Right? That's a great yeah. one. Yeah. Sclerophyll. <laughs> oh, sclerophyll is coming. It'll take 3.5 million years, but he'll be here. Sclero comma Phil. Yeah. Is you here? Phil? Phil Sclero. Yeah. No. Phil Sclero is like a shitty, corrupt Florida governor. <laughs> yeah. That sounds about right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you're, you're right though, Alex. This is a long, long period of time. But the thing that happened is this one tree species ended up just getting wrecked from all these different fires. It didn't like fires. Mm. The drying is what caused it to basically leave all of these other uh, habitats. And now it is only found in this one little teeny tiny place. And that place is to this day still in danger of fires. Yeah. And this kind of brings us to our next big uh, question here is as the climate is shifting, then what is what's happening and what is our responsibility as kind of humans and what is happening on the ground right now that maybe we should be concerned with? Sure. Alex, did you know that when the colonizers came over from uh, Europe to Australia, 
they did almost the same exact thing to the landscape that they did here in North America. Sure. Well, yeah. Yeah. It makes sense that that obviously would happen. The British mm. did kind of both. Turns out that the, uh, the Aboriginal populations in Australia, like we had said earlier, have been there for a really long time. Yeah. They have managed that landscape this entire time. It was already dry by the time they got there, and they started using fire to help manage the landscape, to help get rid of certain things and encourage certain habitats, and they also just were in balance with this kind of, uh, this whole ecosystem. As soon as the Europeans came over, they said, no more fires. Mm. We're not going to do that anymore. And we ended up getting this really intense um, buildup of fuels and the same thing that happens out here in the West where all of a sudden the, the, the fire regimes are thrown way off and we start to add in climate change. And now we have this like intense combination of factors that create the situation that's kind of untenable for a tree that's like I really like only wetland areas. So I posed this question or rather talked about this a little bit with uh, with Ian Allen. So let's let's hear what he had to say. We touched on the deep connection and ancient connection of First Nations Australians to the land. Well it's it's widely known that they the Aboriginal Australians managed fire in the landscape. Um, they, they understood it in a way where they had almost harnessed, you know, the use of fire to manage the ecology and diversity for their food, for travel, like in, in a way that is just, it's mind-blowing when you're thinking of tens of thousands of years of, of their management of the land. And, um, and that, that, you know, that, that's an, they're, they're evolutionary timescales when you talk about a, a people that have been doing that for tens of thousands of years. The plants have evolved with that. Um, and, of course, 200, Australia's 200 and what, 220, something, 230 years old of white colonial inhabitation, and they essentially stopped that and stopped mm. that fire. And just like what you mentioned about the United States, We've, su- we've suppressed every fire. We've taken that fire management out of the land. It's bec- we've built populations up. We've built in areas that were so fire prone. And then all of a sudden, it's like, we can't let it burn. We can't let it burn. And unfortunately, back in uh, the summer of 2019, 2020, um, uh, like what's happened in the West Coast of America, um, almost the entire East Coast of Australia burnt on the coast and um we'd had multiple years of drought the whole state of new south wales had been declared in in severe drought um and everybody was well aware of the fire risk everybody had seen you know as as the climate's warming as these extreme drought and weather events are, are happening but no one expected the scale of what what happened um mm-hmm. to to be like that and unfortunately all over the east, the east coast, right up into these mountains and in the rainforest and everything, you know, things were so dry um, and we just had that terrible coming together of drought, lack of fire management, you know, the build-up of the fuel loads, you know, these forests that hadn't been managed in a way where fires could be small and, um, and you know, lots of agencies, lots of national parks, the fire agencies, um, Lots of people had done a lot of work to try to manage that risk, but the scale of Australia, like like the states, you know, you're talking about forests that are millions of hectares in size, and yeah, it led to led to these huge, um, I guess they now call mega fires breaking out, and the Wollamai National Park, um, where the Wollamai pines are, 
a fire started from a lightning strike deep within that national park. Um, the agencies were unable to put that fire out um, due to weather and due to the risks and everything else going on at the time. And and that fire grew into what was what became known as the Gospers Mountain Mega Fire, which essentially burnt almost the entire Wollamai National Park. And yeah. um, you know, through the whole, it, it, the same fire and, and a bunch of other fires all linked up to become these mega blazes. It became known as what, what the Black Summer Fires, 2019, 2020, and um, lives were lost, houses were lost, but also the impact on these ecosystems was just incredible because of the severity and like intensity of those fires was was mm-hmm. beyond what a lot of these landscapes have evolved to deal with. Um, I mentioned before, you know, these deep rainforest gullies, is rare that fire would ever make it all the way down into those with any intensity. But in in that event, um, all of these deep rainforest gullies, it is amazing. You'd look into these areas and parts of the land that we manage on the, the Botanic Gardens estate, things that you never thought would burn when you actually went down into them, fire had trickled all the way down into the rainforests, all the way to the creeks um, that are right at the bottom of these deep valleys. Casey, I've looked up a map of the Gospers Mountain megafire. It's an impressively huge amount of land. Amazing. I mean, I and I remember this happening. I remember reading, yeah. I remember, you know, it was like in the zeitgeist, there's fire, big fires in Australia. But I guess I never really, <clears throat> you know, I never really like looked into exactly how, how, how big. Yeah. 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 Uh, this is, this was a fucking mega fire, man. Mega fire to say the least. Terrible. Yeah. And this is all brought back to the context of this tree. And, and like Ian said, there's a lot of other things that happened and, and, you know, houses were lost, lives were lost and all these things. Yeah. But in the middle of this, put this unique botanical thing where the, only groves of this tree that are that exist in the wild today, right smack dab in the middle of this fire. They all got burned over. Mm. Now, two things here. One, they were saved. Yes. They were saved, and if you want to hear that story, the rest of uh, the interview with Ian, we're going to put that up on our uh, Patreon. You can also, I'm sure, read about it. It was the single like feel good story of that entire summer for them. They were really worried, but they put in a bunch of effort and people got together and said, we got to save this tree. Yeah. It is so ancient and there's only like, you know, you can put the whole number of them in like a garage of all the living trees. This is one of the most important things in the history of the world, much less just us right now. So they ended up saving it and uh, put it out in the news and people like went wild about it in a positive way. Mm-hmm. They were really worried that everyone's going to be really upset, but it was like the one feel good thing that happened. We saved like this pride and joy of this tree. Yeah. But on the other side of this is thinking about the changes that Australia has been going through over the last several million years. This is potentially just another step in that area. Because, and this is the controversial side of all this, we're trying to save this tree and we're kind of playing God a little bit to say, how are we going to save this tree when there's also these like way bigger kind of uh, transitions of the world that theoretically is the world going back to its more common state, which is super hot. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of wild to think about like how, how much our impact affects such a specific thing 
it's it's a lot to consider. Yeah, boy. I mean, like, I'm I'm glad they saved the trees. Yeah, right. And then, but then you look in the and you're like, well, f- you know, okay, what's next? <laughs> what's next? Yeah. What What about the next fire that happens, which could be very soon? Yeah. But we're gonna save that again for a talk on Patreon. Yeah. Where we're gonna t- kind of dive into the ethics of that a little bit. It's already too long to talk about it today. Well, Casey, I think this is the perfect place to get into our review of the wool of my pine. All right. Well, that sounds good. And I'll just say up top, I have some strong thoughts on this. Train. Whoa, you do. Yeah. I got some hot takes. All right. Ooh, ooh, little too ooh, soon. Too soon. <laughs> too soon, Alex. We're going to give some final thoughts on this tree and then give it a rating of zero to 10 golden cones of honor as our resident uh, bushwhacker will begin with you. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. Thank you. I actually will never bushwhack into this uh, area. It is actually, did you know, the location of these trees hidden, national secret level hidden. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. So you nobody can just go hang out with them. No, you can't. And if you do, you risk literally killing all of them. Yeah, they bring in a disease called Phytophthora cinnamomum oh, on their shoes. So you actually have to like clean your shoes anytime you enter and leave the the area. And they like make you sign non-disclosure agreements uh, and put uh put uh, 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 handkerchiefs over your eyes. Yeah, blindfolds. While, yeah, while you fly in via helicopter. That's incredible. Isn't that amazing? It really adds to the to the mystique of these yeah, things. Yeah, it sure does. So, uh, okay, so the Woolamy Pine, the Woolamy Pine Woo! is just one of the most extraordinary, like, survival stories ever. Yeah. It's like finding a, someone who's been cast away on an island for millions of years and being like oh my god you you evolved in, into a different thing what it's like it's He's a frog man yeah it's it's a crazy thing to think about but the one thing that i i love about this tree is its gorgeous foliage i think that the fact that everyone just compares it and thought that it was a species of um either a cephalotaxis people thought or hmm. it's just another conifer alex okay. alex everyone gave me this look like when a, you you make a sound a dog kind of yes. twists its head a little sideways like <laughs> what did you just say i knew yeah. i knew you were gonna go with that reference because <laughs> it's, it's exactly it's what exactly i did. did sorry don't worry about cephalotaxis it's uh it's kind of semi-related to a you and it's like the oh. Chinese U, I think is what they call oh, it. Oh, yeah. I can totally see this being mistaken for a U. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so it looks a lot like other plants. It is not those other plants. And so I think it like has this beauty to it and kind of this mystique. Everything I've read about it, people walk up and they see it and they're kind of like their breath is taken away mm. because it's like fine. It's like going to the eastern United States. You're walking through a deciduous forest. There's just oaks and hickories and lindens and hornbeams and all these other like broadleaf trees. You see this gorgeous. Okay, great. Then you come into a grove of giant sequoias mm. and you're like, what? What? <laughs> right. Where did these come from? Why are they here? It apparently is so mind-boggling that you it like takes your breath away. Mm. Now, if you did walk into an actual giant sequoia grove, they will also take your breath away. And here's where everything gets real. They have outcompeted everything else. They've done the same thing, but they're also like, uh, if you punch them, they punch you back. Yeah. Where it feels like if you punch a, a Woolamai pine, they kind of like, ah, and then that entire stem dies. So wow. I don't know... I, I want this tree to be successful, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, um, uh, how did you survive? Like, 
you kind of I'm a little suspicious of it. I'm just a little bit suspicious. Like it's got it's made a deal with the devil. Or sure. Something. And which is fine with me. I don't mind. It's sold its soul to like live forever. But it a, has to grow only in these certain spots. It's made a deal with the mayor of Sydney. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Let me ask you this. When you know uh, when there's like a local hero in Sydney. Uh huh. Do you think instead of giving them the key to the city, the mayor give, gives them the secret location <laughs> yeah. for Walmart? Here's here's your coordinates. Go see our secret tree and a helicopter I, ride. Yeah, I hope so. That would be great. Yeah. I they should still be blindfolded though. Just to be clear. Oh yes. Um. So I I'm gonna give this tree. I'm gonna give it an eight point nine. Wow. I don't think I can put it up to a nine. Maybe I can. I'm 9.0, Alex. I'm going to do 9.0. Wow, you did it. I did it, up, I did it up there. I convinced myself. Because what changed? Honestly, I think what changed is I haven't been able to see it, but I, like, I'm trying to imagine as hard as I can what it would be like to see this, like this, this thing that is so ancient where it feels ancient. Like yeah. when you see even babies in a lab, you're just like... Oh my God, they're dragon eggs. Like, I, I, I really think that's incredible. I, I can't give it a perfect 10 because a perfect 10 is a redwood and these are not redwood. Fair enough, my man. So that I think is, I think that's where I'd have to leave it and just hope that the, they will be everywhere very soon. And that is just going to be the way they, they have to live. But ideally, we won't make them similar to like the ginkgo where they're functionally extinct in the, in the rest of the world in their native habitat. But they're planted so often everywhere yeah. that they, they're certainly not actually extinct, but they're just extinct in the wild. Right. I don't want these trees to ever be extinct in the wild. Okay. That would be like in Westworld if all the real humans died, but the yeah. robots took over, but they look yes. just like the real humans. There you go. That's exactly... That is... That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think I'm going to go with... Uh, yeah, 9.0. 9.0 Golden mm-hmm. Cones of Honor for the Woolamai from Casey Clapp. Yep. Okay. Alex, uh, what do you got? You said you had some strong feelings on this. Yeah. Uh, are there any that you'd like to share? I love dinosaur trees. You know, they actually call this the pinosaur. That's great. Isn't that a good one? I love that. It just earned some extra points. <laughs> I love dinosaur trees. I love the pinosaur. Uh, I don't understand why we... I mean, I, you know... I, I think if I were to refer to this tree from now on, I would just refer to the Wollemi. Yeah. Not yeah. the Wollemi pine. Yeah. Like it's a misnomer that's not needed. I it's know. as easy as it's as easy as just saying, okay, we're not going to say that anymore. Yeah, right. They just need a boardroom meeting. Yeah, yeah. Everyone in favor? It doesn't matter. I'm making the choice. You, you just need a tweet from Casey Clapp. Oh man, hold on. Let me go get my tweeter. <laughs> that says we're no longer using pine in the name Wollemi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you have um, any questions, refer to this uh, this news news break not news break what do they call it uh a public press release press release thank you <laughs> it's just a link to this episode of completely yeah, arbitrary yeah. can we make a press release for this i think we should <laughs> sure i gotta google how to do that um i love dinosaur trees i think this is a really cool one i love any tree that like grows in its own little protected bubble and mm-hmm. like do not go in there and do not bring them out yeah just let them groove They've been doing it for millions of years. And thank God, you know, sometimes we we talk about something and I'm like, man, how lucky is it that we we live at the exact same time as this thing that shouldn't, you know, even be alive. Yeah. Uh, 
that's how I feel about us and the us in the Wollemi. Okay, which I think at least earns it an eight point five golden cones of honor. I think it's good number. I can't quite go to nine. I don't know why. Maybe What's it's because they're Australian. <laughs> what? I'm just kidding. Oh I don't have God. a I don't have a secret beef with Australia. <laughs> I was about to say, what is this? Yeah. All right. That's one that's of my fair. favorite television shows is Australian. Kath and Kim. There you go. I think that's very fair. I bet Australians listening to this just rolled their eyes because it's probably a very like dumb show <laughs> to Australians. But I love it. Yeah, Alex, you do like a lot of these kinds of shows. Yes, it's I don't true. want to say dumb, but cringy, um, sketchy, sketchy, like uh, like of sketch comedy. I don't like sketch comedy. You don't like sketch comedy. I mean, I, a couple here and there, but I'm not oh. like a fan of sketch. Com- I feel like you're the fan of sketch comedy. I do you love really SNL. Like, I do. I like sketch comedy. But you said what it was. Um, uh, uh, you have to leave, or you should go. That, I think you one? should leave is yeah. is maybe the one sketch comedy show oh. that, but I like watching individual sketches from it. I don't sit and watch oh, it. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. I'm but I sorry. love I love alternative comedy. I love absurdist comedy. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. Huh? That was our review of the Wall of My Pine. Thank you so much to Ian Allen for uh, for joining us for this talk. Uh, a really cool perspective from somebody who knows these trees well, Casey. Yeah. Um, and and in on the national secret. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Casey, it's time for our completely arbitrary Q and A. All right. Now I'm excited about this. Uh, you asked me just before this if this would be a good question, and I responded absolutely yes. I'm very excited about it. I closed the tab for some reason. Alex, why would you have done that? Okay, this week's question is from the Patreon, as we have been doing, the Quercus and Alder tier Q&A. That's right. Only $3 a month. That's right. This week's question is from Kira Sears. Hi, Kira. Hi. Kira says, why, and I thought this one was very perfect for this episode, Casey. Why are Australian trees so weird? (laughs) I'm a New Jersey native, and I've been in Queensland for the last few weeks volunteering with humpbacks. That sounds awesome. Why do half of them, uh, Australian trees, have aerial roots? Why are she oaks so pretty? Are they even related to oaks? Is that throwing shade at oaks? I'm not totally sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't think so. Like, why are you so pretty? You're not even related to the thing that's pretty. Well, you know what? You should look up a she oak and that's not pretty. (laughs) You'll add. You'll. I think that might clarify the question a bit. I'm very interested. Yeah. Um. They have needles. Says Kira. Love the podcast and so grateful for you both. Hey, we're grateful for you. Okay, she oaks are grotesque. <laughs> now, see, here's my other big question. Why don't why don't the humpbacks pay a good wage? Why why do they always have to like hire just volunteers? That's that's what I really want to know. Oh, Casey. I'm sorry. I just think if you're gonna be volunteering, you uh you sometimes you need a little bit more. We gotta get you on Leno. All right, thank you, thank you. This is such a good question. I think it's funny that it's like, why are they so weird? I think that's, a, I just love that. I thought that was funny. Yes, but I, I, I get what Kira is saying. Yeah. Uh, every Australian tree we've covered, I've been like, huh, okay. <laughs> I mean, it is well known that all the, everything in Australia is trying to kill you. So it is, uh, it's, it's not, uh, it's not a, out of the question that their, their trees and plants could be just as weird. Sure. So just take a look at the rainbow eucalyptus. Oh my gosh. What please, the fuck is that? You. That's it's, a, it's incredible. Yeah. But I've never seen anything like it. It's like out of a science fiction book. The bunya is obviously yes. this gigantic coned conifer that is unlike anything else. Again, again, everything in Australia is unlike anything else. They're great. So, even the accents. Even the accents. Okay. So Alex, here is my very first answer to the very first of those several question conglomerations. Yes. You're just not used to it. 
Yeah, that's a. I think that's a really good answer, Casey. Yeah, whenever you're in a new place, everything kind of seems, you know, for lack of a better term, foreign. Like mm-hmm. you're just like, okay, everything is kind of a little bit different. Yeah. Um, and the plants in a different place are are part of that. You grew up in a certain spot. You are used to the certain flora or lack of flora around you. As soon as you go to a new place, you're like, oh my gosh, like going to uh the the jungles of um. Vietnam are probably going to be like, whoa, why are these plants so weird? Yeah. Borneo, another example, like what is going on? But somebody from Vietnam who goes to Portland, Oregon might look around and say, wow, your trees are really strange. These are so weird. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of that I think just comes from (laughs) a, a certain perspective. Sure. However... Australia has weird trees. <laughs> like they're kind of above the fray in in strangeness in a lot of ways. That's a great. Uh, that's a great Larry David <laughs> when he says uh, the about the phrase having said that. Yeah, like yeah. you can say anything after having said that. Precisely. You know? it's just it's a it's a catch all for now. Don't hold me. Don't hold me too accountable. Here. Yeah. So, but in Australia, so Australia is unique in that um, it was taken away from this Gondwanan uh, flora millions of years ago. And Gondwanan flora is weird if you are normally used to the flora of Laurasia, which Mm. is kind of the North America, Eurasia kind of world. So the trees that used to grow in one place uh, when it was... uh, Pangeata. What is it? What did Dylan say? Panigia. Panigia. No, no pan, you, you always say Panigia. Oh. It's Panigia. Panigia. Thank Sorry. you. In Panigia. Yeah. Panigia had, you know, it was one big thing. So there's, you know, everything was kind of shared. But then when they split up, then the floras kind of kept doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. Then the floras in the north, if you're from the north, you kind of are used to them. You're like, oh, yeah, pine trees, fir trees, uh, oak trees, maples. Totally makes sense. You go down to the, the other side of the world, and now not only are they different plants because it's a different part of the world, but they've evolved differently for the last like 80 million years, sure. you know, maybe more. So you start to see that the there's no, you can't even go and say, oh, that's a weird looking maple down here. It's a weird looking pine. No, it's not. It's not even, it, it's so completely different. It boggles your mind. Different, uh, f- different family, different order. Yes, exactly. Kind of deal. Completely, completely new. Yeah. So then you go and take this other weird stuff where it's just like, okay, you are, you are 50% of the flora that I have never, Ever seen in my life, then take that and put it onto an island, isolate it for several million years, <laughs> and then let it just kind of get cabin fever and go crazy and turn into even weirder stuff. Wow. That's how you get Australian plants. That's fun. And also, like we said earlier, when this first left this giant, huge landmass, it was a tropical rainforest. Mm. Then it's been making this and has, for all intents and purposes, made a transition to a way more arid environment. So you essentially take these tropical plants and you transmorgify them into this new kind of desert-related plant. And it kind of even adds a whole lever, whole another layer of weirdness that comes with having a massive amount of adaptation for a whole, whole new environment. You know what we'll say about Australian trees, Casey? What? 
It's just a phase. It's just a phase. They're going to be back. They're going to cut their hair. Mm-hmm. They'll start wearing other colors like beige instead of all black. Never sending them to college again. <laughs> but the last one thing uh, that was asked there is about this tree called the she-oak or the casarina. Yeah. Is that right? Casarina? Yeah, casarina. So casarina is a species that looks like a pine tree. It, and I don't mean that in the grand sense. It looks like it has pine needles mm-hmm. in, in the genus Pinus. But when you look at the cones in uh, uh, in quotes. Aggressive air quotes, I would say. Very aggressive. Because they're not cones. And if they are cones, they're cones in the same way an alder has cones. Sure. Where they are actually more closely related to oak trees, which is why they're called she-oaks. They're mm. in the order Fagales, which is all the trees that are uh, like very closely related to the oaks and the beeches and the chestnuts and things like that. I did notice it's a hyphenated name, Casey. Exactly. She hyphen oak. You did a very good job. See, this is this is the thing. Whenever you uh whenever you're you're looking at things and you can read the clues, you're mm. like, okay, hold on, there's a clue here. Yeah. yeah. So uh the she oaks <laughs> in uh Cassarineaceae are this weird species of plant that now has just photosynthesized only in their stems and their uh, their leaves are completely reduced to almost not existing. Wow. So the needles are actually probably more closely called or more correctly called cladodes, but I don't think they are 100% cladodes. Wow. Just to be clear. We should do an Australian month. Oh, that that would be great, yeah. Aussie now, month. Now, these grow all over the place. They're invasive in Florida. I've seen them in the Philippines. Anywhere that's tropical, they okay. grow like right on the beach, like in the sand. Oh, wow. So they're big timber trees. They're weird. important wherever they grow. Yeah. Imagine seeing like a weird pine-looking-like tree right on like a gorgeous like crystalline beach or, or coralline beach, rather. Real, real, uh, real um, aesthetic killer. Yeah, yeah, I, that's fair. That's fair. They do have a certain beauty palms. to them, I would say. Yeah, you want palms, Alex? That's it. That's, On my beach, that's yeah. Your thing. All right, or that's mangroves. Fair. Okay, mangroves. Well, mangroves would be not a technical beach, but I see what you're saying. Yeah. You want that to be on the on the cusp. <laughs> I want it to be on the cusp. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's it. So um, Australia has weird trees because that's just the way they grow. They've had a lot to deal with, and they've done a very good job. And we're not we're not going to mention it to them. I'm not going to say it out loud. They're going through a lot. They're going through a lot. Thank you, Alex. As Thank we said, you. it's just a phase. That's just a phase. Casarina, though, is well on its way to being a very weird, not oak, oak tree. I don't even know where they got she-oak from. I don't know where they got mm. oak from. The fact that it is... Uh, the fact that it has a weird cone-like thing and it doesn't look anything like an acorn nor have leaves that look like oaks make me wonder, who came up with that? A little imposter syndrome going on. We might have to do a whole episode as to uh, who done it. I would love a she-oak who done it. Yeah, okay. Maybe we, we'll could, we could do like a clue thing. Ah, yeah. Actually, so I found here a piece of DNA. Mm, it was... Colonel Alder in the Arboretum with a hacksaw. Oh, my God. That's disgusting. There's blood everywhere. <laughs> There's sap everywhere. See, we have to... We have yeah, to, that's you know. true. Yeah, sorry. Okay. Thank you, Kiara, for your question and the great idea for this new episode. Great idea. If you have a question or an idea for an episode, join the Patreon, patreon.com slash arbitrary pod at the Quercus and Alder that's Q&A level mm-hmm. or join the Arboretum for two bonus episodes a month about other related topics and trees or the prestigious Cone of the Month Club and get a unique die cut cone sticker 
illustrated by an independent artist every month. Let's see. This month we have the Balsam Fur. Really beautiful. By Jocelyn Richards Daniels, a classic. Upright um, cone. They illustrated the um, Douglas Fur, Casey. Yes, that's right. One of our most popular. That's right. Hey, those are coming back. We're restocking the cone shop. That's right. You want to get access to that cone shop? Get in the Cone of the Month Club. That's right. Or... You can also get yourself on the next level, have a bi-monthly stream with yours truly, Alex and Casey, where we are going to talk about all different tree things. We'll take your questions. We'll have a nice fun time and do a live stream two times a month, one with Alex, one with both of us. And there's another level, the generous admission. If you just want to help support the show and get more things off the ground, you can join at whatever level you choose. Yeah, boy. We appreciate all of our patrons, don't we, Case? We sure do. Uh, as we go, do you want to know all the families and the Figales? Yes. Bet should I play Lacey. some? Should I play some music to uh, to oh, underscore yeah. it? Or right, I'm going to put something here. Betulaceae, mm. Casariniaceae, Fagaceae. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Completely Arbitrary. We'll see you next time. Nothofagaceae. Goodbye. Tycodendraceae. Completely Arbitrary is produced by Alex Croson and Casey Clapp. Our artwork is by Jillian Barthold, and our music is by Aves and the Mini Vandals. And you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. And find additional readings at completelyarbitrary.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>